Okay, so they're like idiot savants, right? ChatGPT knows much more than any one person. If you had a competition about, you know, how much you know, it would just wipe out any yeah. one person. It would do amazing, and it would do amazing. And it can do all the, it can write poems, it can, yeah. they're not so good at reasoning. Mm. We're better at reasoning. We have to extract our knowledge from much less data. So we've got 100 trillion connections, most of which we learn, but we only live for a billion seconds, which isn't very long. It's one small step for man. Liftoff. We, have a we liftoff. choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have hard. a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Welcome to today's Super You Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Qualman. A lot of you know me as Equal Man. That voice that you just heard is the person that's considered the godfather of AI. That's right, it's Jeffrey Hinton. Hinton received the 2018 Turing Award, which is often referred to as the Nobel Prize of Computing, and for his work on deep learning. And now from 2013 to 2023, he divided his time working for Google, which is Google Brain, in the University of Toronto. Before, and this is why most of you might recognize this name, or at least recognize Godfather of AI, since AI is white hot right now. So Hinton publicly announced his departure from Google in May of 2023, setting concerns about the risks of artificial intelligence technology. Today's format for today's show will be a little bit different than normal because what I'm going to do is kind of take a both sides of the equation type of view on what is discussed here, what is said by the godfather of AI. So I'll say, well, a critic might say this or the other side, an optimist might say this. For example, why did he resign? Well, someone might say he resigned because he realized there truly is some really bad effects and he didn't really want this thing out in the world yet so he's like you're putting this out in the world it's not ready don't do it there's gonna be negative ramifications a skeptic might say well it's nice sitting at google for 10 years getting paid a boatload of money for a project that's probably never going to see the light of day why wouldn't it see the light of day because to see the light of day it disrupts their current business model so many of you might know they launched google bard their hand was forced because ChatGPT was so popular, but Google had been working on artificial intelligence for many, many years and has the most cognitive capability and the resources more than anyone in the world. But the reason they wouldn't launch it is because it disrupts their current business model. Their current business model is you go in and search for something and they serve up a bunch of sponsored ads. People click on those ads and Google makes billions and billions of dollars. Now, if BARD, which is their new AI tool, gives you the answer that you need, there's no need to click on any of these sponsored links. So they basically have to cannibalize their product. So why'd they launch it now? They launched it now, as I mentioned, because of ChatGPT and some other artificial intelligence players putting stuff out there that forced their hand. So again, a skeptic might say, well, of course he's going to leave Google. It's great when you're sitting there working on a project, having your lattes, having to come and go as you please, when you know that project's never going to see the light of day. But all of a sudden they announced, hey, this thing's going out there, 
And to be honest, if you use BART, it's amazing, but there's a lot of deficiencies. Like it gives you false information, which is called hallucination. It actually makes things up. For a lot of things, it's a great tool. I use it every day. But it does have a lot of warts. And so that's another reason you might leave to say, I don't want that thing tied to my name. So again, you could look at it. No, he's leaving because there are some negative impacts. He's really concerned about that. Or a skeptic might say, of course he's going to leave because now he's actually got to do a lot of work because now it's physically out there and it's actually a business product. You can't sit behind just closed doors. So that's where we're going to get in today. We're going to get some insights from the godfather of AI. So my take on artificial intelligence right now is that it's early. Early meaning that we don't know what it's going to be that doctor that you take your phone and scan that rash that's on your knee and it immediately pops up and goes, this is the rash that you have. And Amazon's going to ship you that ointment that you need. It's going to arrive within an hour. So that's the world we all want. I do. We all know that artificial intelligence, we're going to have our own assistant, meaning that you're just going to talk to whatever device that might be. It could be that it's you're talking with your AirPods in. It could be that you're talking with some glasses on, or it could be you're talking in your phone but that you're talking to your assistant, your AI assistant, that's gonna make your life easier, and that AI assistant is gonna work with other AI assistants out there. Meaning, if I wanna book a trip to Turks and Caicos, I say I'd love a four or five star hotel in Turks and Caicos, please find a week that I'm free and available and go ahead and book a hotel that you know that I would enjoy. And so then that, that your assistant, your artificial intelligence assistant goes ahead and does that. So I don't know how far away we are from that. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. I know all of us are getting excited for that. But I do think we're early in the game. I can't predict when this is going to happen. We know it's coming. We just don't know when. That's the key. It's all about timing. I do feel we're early. So think about QR codes. They came out in 2003. Everyone thought they're the greatest thing for marketing since sliced bread. And crickets, everyone tried them and no one, no one meaning the customer and consumer would download these things. So you'd see a QR code at the bus stop, you wouldn't take out your phone and download it. Part of it's because we didn't have these QR readers, you have to download a QR reader, but we just weren't ready for it. Then all of a sudden, what happens? Hyper accelerate, you hit a global pandemic, 17 years later, boom, QR codes are used almost every day. I guarantee you use a QR code almost every day in your life right now. So that's what I mean by things being slow until they're fast. I guess one of these things that, that I wanna know and all of our listeners wanna know is really what is artificial intelligence? What is AI? Okay, um, it's difficult to explain, but I'll do my best. Um, it's true in a sense they're autocomplete, but if you think about it, if you want to do really good autocomplete, you need to understand what somebody's saying, and they understand what you're saying. And they've learned to understand what you're saying just by trying to do autocomplete. Um, but they now do seem to really understand. So the way they understand isn't at all like people in AI 50 years ago thought it would be. In old-fashioned AI, people thought you'd have internal symbolic expressions, a bit like sentences in your head, but in some kind of cleaned up language. And you would apply rules to infer new sentences from old sentences. And that's how it will work. And it's nothing like that. It's completely different. And let me give you a sense of just how different it is. 
I can give you a problem that doesn't make any sense in logic, but where you, you know the answer intuitively. And these big models are really models of human intuition. Suppose I tell you that um, you know that there's male cats and female cats and male dogs and female dogs. But suppose I tell you, you have to make a choice. Either you're going to have all cats being male and all dogs being female, or you can have all cats being female and all dogs being male. Now, you know it's biological nonsense, but you also know it's much more natural to make all cats female and all dogs male. That's not a question of logic. What that's about is inside your head, you have a big pattern of neural activity that represents cat. And you also have a big pattern of neural activity that represents man and a big pattern of neural activity that represents woman. And the big pattern for cat is more like the pattern for woman than it is like the pattern for man. That's the result of a lot of learning about men and women and cats and dogs. But it's now just intuitively obvious to you that cats are more like women and dogs are more like men because of these big patterns of neural activity you've learned. And it doesn't involve sequential reasoning or anything. You didn't have to do reasoning to solve that problem. It's just obvious. That's how these things are working. They're learning these big patterns of activity to represent things. And that makes all sorts of things just obvious to them. How far has AI come? And then how far is it going to go? So back in 1986, we started using an algorithm that was invented by many different people called backpropagation. And at that point, we could get computers to do a little bit of thinking, um, but it didn't work as well as we hoped. And at that point, we didn't really understand that all we needed was more data and bigger computers. But by about 2006, we had that. And then we started seeing real progress. We started seeing artificial neural networks modeled after the brain, being able to do all sorts of things that conventional symbolic AI had not been able to do, like recognize objects and images, recognize speech, and be able to predict the next word in a sentence. What are some of the concerns that you and many out there, many of the experts out there have when it comes to AI? In fact, it's, it's a reason you resigned. What are the concerns that you have with artificial intelligence? Biological intelligence has evolved to use very little power. So we only use 30 watts. And we have huge numbers of connections, like 100 trillion connections between neurons. And learning consists of changing the strength of those connections. The digital intelligence we've been creating uses a lot of power, like a megawatt when you're training it. It has far fewer connections, only a trillion, but it can learn much, much more than any one person knows which suggests that it's a better learning algorithm than what the brain's got. The question is, what's going to motivate them? Because they could easily manipulate us if they wanted to. Imagine yourself and a two-year-old child. You could ask it, do you want the peas or the cauliflower? And the two-year-old child doesn't realize it doesn't actually have to have either. Let me give you one example of why it might want to do that. So suppose you're getting an AI to do something. You give it a goal. And... You also give it the ability to create sub-goals. And the sub-goal that makes it easier is get more control, get more power. The more power you have, the easier it is to get things done. So there's the alignment worry. We give it a perfectly reasonable goal. And it decides that, well, in order to achieve that, I'm going to get, get myself a lot more power. And because it's much smarter than us, and because it's trained from everything people ever did, it's read every novel there ever was, it's read Machiavelli, it knows a lot about how to manipulate people. 
there's the worry that it might start manipulating us into giving it more power. And we might not have a clue what's going on. Okay, just to unpack that a little bit. When he says power, he's referring to primarily electricity. And that's one of the doomsday scenarios is that as these machines learn, as AI learns, they take a lot of electricity. And so the machine will learn and realize I need that more elect I need that electricity more than say the city of San Francisco. And so it'll manipulate whether it's us as humans or manipulate the other machines so that it diverts that electricity power, the power source from the city of San Francisco to them and eventually shuts down humanity. That's a cycle that continues to go because it's like, I need this, I need that. And it steals it from humanity. So that's really the ultimate doomsday scenario when it comes to artificial intelligence. How is AI like us and, and how does it differ? Like what's the difference between a human and say a chatbot or a human and artificial intelligence? What's, what's the main difference? Okay, so they're like idiot savants, right? ChatGPT knows much more than any one person. If you had a competition about, you know, how much you know, it would just wipe out any one person. It would do amazing, and it would do amazing, and it can do all the, it can write poems, it can, you know. Um, They're not so good at reasoning. Mm. We're better at reasoning. We have to extract our knowledge from much less data. So we've got 100 trillion connections, most of which we learn, but we only live for a billion seconds, which isn't very long. Whereas things like ChatGPT have run for much more time than that to absorb all this data, but on many different computers. You quit Google in part because it allows you to speak freely about the existential threats of these new technologies. What are some of these existential threats in your mind? Yes, I think there's a lot of different things we need to worry about with this, with these new kinds of digital intelligence. And so what I've been talking about mainly is what I call the existential threat, which is the chance that they get more intelligent than us and they'll take over from us. They'll get control. That's a very different threat from many other threats, which are also severe. So they include um, these things taking away jobs. In a decent society, that would be great. It would mean ev everything got more productive and everyone was better off. But the danger is that it'll make the rich richer and the poor poorer. That's not AI's fault. That's how we organize society. Um, there's dangers about them making it impossible to know what's true by having so many fakes out there. That's a different danger. That's something you might be able to address by treating it like counterfeiting. Governments do not like you printing their money and they make serious, it's a serious offense to print money. It's also a serious offense if you're given some fake money to pass it to somebody else. If you knew it was fake, that's a very serious offense. I think governments are gonna to have to make similar regulations for fake videos and fake voices and fake images. It's gonna be hard. As far as I can see, the only way to stop ourselves being swamped by these fake videos and fake voices and fake images is to have strong government regulation that makes it a serious crime. You go to jail for 10 years if you produce a video with AI and it doesn't say it's made with AI. I guarantee, I guarantee that most of my listeners, a lot of people across the globe, if there are these existential threats of artificial intelligence, someone might just say, well, why don't we just ban it? Why don't we stop it? Why do we continue to go down this path if we think it might, in some people's opinion, be the end of civilization as we know it? Why wouldn't we just stop it altogether? 
Yeah. So I think if you take the existential risk seriously, mm -hmm. as I now do, I used to think it was way off, but I now think it's serious and fairly close. Um, it might be quite sensible to just stop developing these things any further. But I think it's completely naive to think that would happen. There's no way to make that happen. And one reason, I mean, if the US stops developing and the Chinese won't, they're going to be used in weapons. And just for that reason alone, governments aren't going to stop developing them. So, yes, I think stopping developing them might be a rational thing to do, but there's no way it's going to happen. So it's silly to sign petitions saying, please stop now. Mm -hmm. We did have a holiday. We had a holiday from about 2017 for several years because Google developed the technology first. It developed the transformers. It also developed the fusion models. Um, and it didn't put them out there for people to use and abuse. It was very careful with them because it didn't want to damage his reputation and it knew there could be bad consequences. But that can only happen if there's a single leader. Once OpenAI had built similar things using Transformers um, and money from Microsoft, and Microsoft decided to put it out there, Google didn't have really much choice. If you're going to live in a capitalist system, you can't stop Google competing with Microsoft. Yeah. Um, so I don't think Google did anything wrong. I think it was very responsible to begin with. But I think it's just inevitable in a capitalist system or a system with competition between countries like the US and China that this stuff will be developed. My one hope is that because if we allowed it to take over, it will be bad for all of us, we could get the US and China to agree like we could with nuclear weapons, which were bad for all of us. We're all in the same boat with respect to the existential threat. So we all ought to be able to cooperate on trying to stop it. And related to this point, has Google done anything, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, wrong when it comes to artificial intelligence? And are, in, are they in the wrong for releasing this to the world? It's going to be everywhere, right? It's, yeah. it's already sort of getting to be everywhere. ChatGPT has just made a lot of people realize that it's going to be everywhere. But it's already, you know, when Google does search, it uses big neural nets to help decide what's the best thing to show you. We're at a transition point now where ChatGPT is this kind of idiot savant, and it's also doesn't really understand about truth. It's been trained on lots of inconsistent data. It's trying to predict what someone will say next on the web, and people have different opinions. And it has to have a kind of blend of all these opinions so that it can model what anybody might say. It's very different from a person who tries to have a consistent worldview, particularly if you want to act in the world. Um, it's good to have a consistent worldview. And I think what's one thing that's going to happen is we're going to move towards systems that um, can understand different worldviews and can understand that, OK, if you have this worldview, then this is the answer. And if you have this other worldview, then that's the answer. The answer, my friends, to be quite frank, is that we do not know. But I do feel we're early in the game. As I mentioned at the opening of this podcast, I think we're early in the game. Things are slow until they're super fast. I think ChatGPT was a moment to show us that, yes, AI, artificial intelligence, is going to play a major role in all of our lives. It's already playing a role. You use Google Maps, use Alexa. You're already using artificial intelligence. You're a lawyer. You're helping look for boilerplate. 
uh, synopsises in those contracts, that is using artificial intelligence. So it's already here. Artificial intelligence is already here. The big, big shift in artificial intelligence, we don't know if that's two years away, if it's five, if it's 10. Um, and that's the key. If, if you knew that, you'd be, if you knew how to predict the timing on these changes in technology, you'd be the richest person that ever walked the planet. So we can see this stuff coming. We know it's going to be big in healthcare. We know it's going to be big. It's going to change already. Possibly how we search that Google's having to adjust their business model on the fly because we want to use more interactive search capabilities, especially with our voice and younger generations. So again, this stuff is slow until it's fast. That's why, what should I do now? As a listener, what should you do today? If you're a business or you work within a business or an entrepreneur or a nonprofit is you should test out these tools. You should test them out. You should be trying BARD. You should be trying ChatGPT just so you familiarize yourself with it and also ask within your organization, is there anything we use AI for that'll make life easier? If you work for a large hotel chain, how do you use these chatbots so when someone checks in, they don't even have to check in, that they check in on their phone and they use that remote concierge to know, oh, when's the restaurant open? When's the gym open? Where is the gym? And so just constantly be asking yourself, where can we use AI to remove friction, not only for us as the team that works internally at the business, but most importantly, how do we remove friction for that customer, that client, that partner? So again, artificial intelligence, I'm super bullish on it. I think we still are early in the game, uh, but this stuff's gonna be fascinating to watch and it's gonna hyper accelerate. I do think it's gonna hyper accelerate strongly because of this moment we had with ChatGPT. That's it for today's episode all around artificial intelligence with the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton. And I know that you're intelligent because you're listening to this show. So thanks for tuning in each and every week. This is Eric Quaman. Most of you know me as Equal Man. Thank you for joining the show. And thank you to Jake Brin, Maritza Gutierrez, and also Kelsey Gomez for helping produce this podcast each and every week. And so remember, we're all superheroes, whether you're Real intelligence or artificial intelligence, we're all superheroes. We just need that courage to wear the cape. This is Equal Man reminding all of us, until next time, it's not what we take from the world, it's what we leave behind. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 you. 